0: Probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. Projection. If
1: intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact.
2: Welcome to the Thing Minute podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me this week
0: is... Jenny so Law. <laughs> my, name is, my name is Jenny Law. I am a librarian, and like most librarians, I kind of fetishize it, and I'm really excited to tell everyone about it all the time. I also um, kind of kind of regularly contribute to Women Write About Comics, the website, so...
1: I'm her husband, Liam Grove. I just sell wine. I have no other interesting extracurriculars.
0: You're a very big movie person.
2: That is true, but I do not <laughs> get paid for that.
0: Yeah. Not yet. Dream.
2: Anyways. <laughs> you know, hopefully that this podcast is gonna hit it off really big. You guys will be getting a big old royalty paycheck in the mail.
0: We expect riches.
2: <laughs> dream big, dream big. Yes. Alright, so uh today we are talking about minute twenty one of the thing, which uh begins with McCready and, and Doc Copper still exploring the Norwegian base and they're looking at the portable video unit, and then uh it ends a minute later with them finding the giant uh ice block coffin bathtub thing at the end of this minute. So this is uh this is really towards the end of the Norwegian base part, which is really kind of at very kind of cool haunted house kind of almost segment of the movie. Um, so it's got a very different vibe from the rest, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I love this whole section and, and the end of it here is definitely one of the creepiest parts of the, of the beginning of the movie, I think.
1: I, I do. I, I love this section because it's it's very controlled. Especially the lighting is just really brilliant. The way that there's just kind of jagged holes cut in the sides of things, and it streams in and it catches all the uh, the, the dressing of the frost that's in everywhere. Uh, I just it looks gorgeous all throughout this thing.
0: Well, and we um, we listened to the commentary to prepare for this, and it's, so it's Kurt Russell and John Carpenter, and evidently as soon as they walk into. The building, the structure, it's an actual set in LA. So all of that, I was really blown away to know that all of that was manufactured, ice and frost. And, you know, I just thought that was amazing.
1: I can't remember if they said they did it all before or after the the exterior stuff in Nova Scotia, where they built the whole base and everything. But yeah, they had to go. They're doing all this in Los Angeles. And so it's 95 degrees outside and they're all in parkas with, you know, his giant catcher's mitt of a beard. And they had to keep it like 40 degrees in there with the air full of moisture with these misters they would blow so that they could get the breath uh, showing.
0: Oh, they also um, put something in their mouths, right?
1: Yeah, they said occasionally they had, he said mentioned something about baskets of dry ice, where yeah. they could push out fog from their mouths.
0: Yeah, and I think he even um,
2: mentioned too that they just would take like a huge sip of like extremely hot coffee before they'd walk on, onto the scene, which now, now every time I see that scene, this part of, uh, of with Kurt Russell walking into that room and blowing out that all that cold breath, that I, I'm always like, I know exactly what he did right before he walked yeah. into
1: <laughs> He just handed somebody a thermos before he walked off yeah. onto <laughs> on the set. That's great.
2: Well,
0: and that's yeah. something that's really funny now too, right? Because that's a part of practical effects that probably doesn't get done that much anymore mm-hmm. because it's all, it's all just computer generated. I, I saw a
1: movie recently where I listened to the commentary and they were talking about that. They did something where they, yeah, they would get a temperature change from what was in their mouth to where they walked on the set. And so you, and, but it sticks out like a sore thumb because you only get one breath that way. Right. Um, it, it, the rest of the scene while they're walking around, unless you cut every time um, to get that first breath out, that you only get the one at the start of the shot. But I I thought it was really funny. He mentioned everybody on the cast got cold because of the temperature change (laughs) from like when they went to lunch and then back into the cold wet set and then outside to the dry heat of Los Angeles.
2: Yeah, I think it was like a record-breaking uh, summer for in, in LA, oh, so it God. was especially awkward for all of them to have to like either change out of their clothes or just go to lunch like wearing these like super heavy-duty winter clothes <laughs> to go to the concert. I'd like to
0: think that Kurt Russell is so hardcore that he wore that big <laughs> fucking hat and all of his outfit the whole time, whether so so. was at lunch outside or like not.
1: <laughs> I was sad that the that the hat was not in our minutes yeah. that we're going to be discussing the giant folded up it looks like bullwinkle's horns like <laughs> and it, but it's folded up in all four corners i don't know is that just to get it inside the helicopter or I I, no I, that's a great that question awesome
0: <laughs> i see i thought more of it it's like very peco spell okay yeah. sure yeah yeah, it's
2: very, it's very cartoonish. We, we've talked about it a lot on the show because it is just so strange. And I, I don't even quite really grasp how it's a, even a winter hat, really.
1: <laughs> no, and you would never be outside long enough for it to protect you from snow. So it's really purposeless. It's just an affectation now, that that character has. You
0: guys, he lined it.
1: <laughs> with, with some animal fur?
0: No, when he cuts his hair, he glues it inside. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> For, like, insulation.
1: Are you going got to make
0: do in Antarctica.
1: Are we going to start doing that with our winter clothes? No. Is that how we're going to make sure that we stretch our clothing dollar? No. <laughs>
0: That's gross. <laughs> when you're in Antarctica, it's the Wild West. You do all sorts of weird shit to make do. And, like, you know, you also get, I think, a little cabin fevery, which definitely comes out later in the film. And so it's not in our minutes. But um, – But yeah,
1: I should mention for the listeners, we are recording this while wearing giant fur parkas um, (laughs) just to get in the mode. And this is no lie. I do actually have a bottle of J&B scotch right in front of us. So (laughs) if anybody gets out of line, I am dumping my glass of
2: scotch into the computer and I'm calling you all cheating bitches.
0: (laughs) He's making me drink it.
2: (laughs) Well, you guys are, like, way more prepared than I am. This is great. (laughs) Y'all are, like, super in character. This is awesome. Well,
0: I'm inside the characters. (laughs) Um, We just, we talk to each other about movies a lot. So this is kind of just a regular night, but we're being recorded. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: This is really, you're just kind of peeking into our our lives. normal. Um, but anyways, back to the minute here, um, sure. and away from our <laughs> private lives. Um, I've always called this place ever since listening to the commentary for the first time, and and Heron Carpenter admit that there there was not like a Norwegian linguist on the set, so those guys at the beginning are just they're they're spouting complete nonsense. And he he says that the one of the words they made up was Smurgdorf. <laughs> that, that the guy is yelling at the front, so I always called this, the the place that they're at now Smirksdorf Station.
2: <laughs> That's really funny. I hadn't heard that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- he said uh, the the guy, the only guy that speaks Norwegian at the beginning was like a stunt coordinator or something, and he just said, you know, Carpenter said, I, "I'm not going to take the time for anyone to learn Norwegian, so just yell gibberish." That sounds <laughs> that sounds vaguely Scandinavian.
2: Well, that's good um, because I guess it would probably, you know, I, I, I've, you know, you hear different things and I, I've heard a translation of what they say at the beginning and I don't know if it's accurate or not. I'd like to think it's nonsense because uh, you'll have to think that these poor people in uh, Norway totally get the movie spoiled for them, if not, in, in the very beginning of the movie.
0: <laughs> I think you're giving 1982 filmmaker John Carpenter and other people a little more credit, I think, than, than <laughs> they actually, they deserve I think it was, that was definitely in the era of like, well, we don't know a language, you'll we'll just make up sounds that sound like it. Exactly. So, I mean, that's, that's what I think.
1: If I was in the Norwegian army and my papers came up that I had been transferred to Smurksdorf station, I mean, I would be okay with it.
0: <laughs> sounds like a place they'd have good, like, lingonberry pancakes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And, uh, yeah, you know, general Ikea stuff. There's probably an Ikea in Smirkdorf, right? Do you think, do you think this smells of, like, meatballs and cinnamon?
0: (laughs) Like (laughs) like an Ikea? I'm
1: actually disappointed that everything isn't tagged with little, uh, little names of things like Flue Coffin and, you know.
0: No, I mean, Ikea was just a glimmer in the, well, I don't even know if the creator was even, like, born. The creator of Ikea? Yeah. Well, know. it's just
1: in their nature to if you're in any Norwegian house, there's going to be little tags with item numbers on
0: every item. <laughs> I don't think that's true.
2: <laughs> yeah, I would like to see like a an IKEA style instruction manual of, you know, related to the thing like how to survive the the, uh, the assimilation in those in the little, you know, like don't do this. Don't use your screwdriver this way.
0: Well, you definitely need a, an Allen wrench. I mean, that's the that's the key to everything, Ikea.
1: Don't poke dog or else tentacles and spider legs will shoot out of its face.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler for later in the movie, the Allen wrench is a, a key part in, in uh, their escaping doom here. I mean,
0: it just comes out of Kurt Russell's belly button and he saves the day, so <laughs> I don't think it's too much of a spoiler.
1: That's what he throws at the thing at the end when it blows up and he says, yeah, fuck you too, right? There's a little tiny Allen I mean, I've done that
2: building an Ikea furniture before. I think I've probably (laughs) pulled that one. (laughs) (laughs) Putting
1: together bunk beds or something you need at the end. It's just a pile of wood and you go, yeah, fuck you too.
0: But going back to um, the movie, um, (laughs) this first minute, um, well, this, this minute, it really reinforces or, in, to me, introduces the fact that this is a horror film. Yeah. Like, because you have things that are curious, you have things that are happening that are like, oh, you know, this is this a tale of survival? Is this a tale of... Just science, you know, um, but then you get the haunted house walkthrough. And that, to me, is such a huge moment where you realize that you're not getting all the answers or really any answers. All the questions are coming are starting to open up and you're getting a tour of essentially a crime, like a, a murder scene. Mm-hmm.
1: And something major has gone down is what I love that there's not like just some blood on the walls or something. There's holes in every wall of this place big enough to drive like a snow cat through and there's axes in the walls and everything. I mean, something very, very large and awful happened here. Um, And what I love about Carpenter is he just takes you through it almost silently. It's a big thing that we love about Carpenter. We're huge fans of uh, the first Halloween too. Mm -hmm. Uh, We watch it every year on Halloween and we always talk about how much in that movie is silent Uh, and it's just static shots of empty rooms and he really knows that if you do that right, it creates just as much tension as if you have a dog that's shooting tentacles and crab legs at its face. You know, it's it's just as scary if he it, the way he uses the camera to just kind of take you on these silent tours of empty rooms. It's, it's really, really creepy. Yeah,
0: and I think definitely. that action. I think the action is that much more impactful because you do have these silences that build the tension first.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, I think without those, it just becomes gore or could potentially just become gore. And that's fine. That's not really my cup of tea, but I love the way he builds attention with this stuff, with with this technique. I think it's just...
2: And the ominous thunder again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, the, the first whole, like, 30, 40 minutes of this movie are so just kind of building mood and building up the characters, which works so well because then... Later in the movie when things go totally batshit insane, it's so much more terrifying because you know these people and you've been building up to that the entire movie. And you've also seen how it ends up. Yeah, exactly. When
1: things start to go bad, you go, oh, we've seen the end of this already.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's such an interesting choice to to include the the Norwegian camp in this because yeah, it is it is like a glimpse into their future which is really fascinating and just yeah. builds such a mystery too, which this would be a good point to bring up that throughout this whole sequence there were a bunch of cut parts and um there's one in that I think would be right around here somewhere. Where they right after they find the the big ice block, they um they find a photo of the Norwegians like bringing the ice block into the camp when it's still like frozen solid. So just kind of reinforcing again, like you know there was something in this block and that you know something got out. But then right after they find the photo, like a. uh, an armless corpse like falls from a beam in the ceiling, like very, <laughs> very haunted house style, you know? Um, yeah, I haven't
1: seen that. That's really cool. Yeah, I, d-
2: I don't know that they ever, that they ever shot it. It's, but it, it is that way in the script. um oh, Okay. And it's just funny to me because there's a couple of places like that are either cut scenes or things that they didn't even film that were in the script like that in this sequence that they just cut out entirely. And I think they, that really Carpenter made a smart decision on that because this, this whole sequence is so much more about building up that tension and never really breaking it so that mm-hmm. it just continues to build when we get back. And, and, you know, you, you really don't know what's going on. It's so, it's really kind of a wonder to me that the, you know, the audiences when this came out had such a problem with the ending. But I'm a little su- more surprised that so a lot of, them and maybe that's part of the problem is maybe a lot of them lost interest in the beginning because it's so it's so open ended. You really don't know what the movie is for a pretty long time. You don't know where it's going mm-hmm. necessarily.
1: Right. It's not until they really start to lay out what they found from uh, what they brought back from here. Yeah. Uh, that you kind of get an idea of where this movie is going. I would have loved to seen, actually, if, if there are any stills anywhere of uh, what the ice block looked like with the thing still inside of it. Because that was one of the things I wanted to bring up uh, as this, this minute ends with him staring at the ice block. Is I've always wondered, th- that is not anywhere near the silhouette of a human being. It's just a ja- kind of a jagged rectangle that yeah. they've cut out of that ice. So there's three explanations for that. First of all, that they just hacked away... And that's just what they ended up with. Right. Mm-hmm. The other one is that the thing really was that big and jagged a shape in whatever, you know, part of the transition it was in when it got frozen, that it, you know, it kind of was that shape. And they happened to carve around it or that it exploded out of that thing, yeah, <laughs> which is, is also very feasible the way that that ice looks, that it, it woke up when it was still in the ice and just blew out of it. But I know that the the implication is that the that they hacked into it and made those that shape.
2: Yeah, it definitely has those kind of almost like shovel or pick marks along the edge to it. That does make it look like they cut it out. Although I, I like to, I th- think I like the idea of the creature getting out itself, or, or somehow melting it from the inside out, you know, to get out kind of thing. But um, right. Yeah, I love it's like slightly too big to be like human sized and you know I think that's one of the my favorite kind of mysteries about the movie is the fact that they never really explain what the thing looked like before, you know, right. the events in the movie or like like was was the the, the parasitic alien thing was that what was you know, driving the UFO or was that, uh, or was, did it take over what was, you know, piloting the the craft? You know, there's like so many uh, unanswered questions about kind of the origins. It just makes it that much more kind of unknowable and terrifying, I think.
0: Well, right. And, and because it more, because it morphs so much, there's a couple of things that come to my mind when I think about this. Like I, I, I never thought about like how it exited and that's really mm-hmm. cool. That you guys thought about that and, you know, um, I wondered like what was their motivation to even bring it back into camp? Like, did it look like a frozen person?
1: Right. Did it why would you take all this trouble? Yeah, did it look
0: like something of value? And you know, another part of that is legions
1: are just curious people.
0: (laughs) Another part of that is if that's not the thing that was piloting the UFO, or if it is, is it is it reacting this way because of the Earth's atmosphere? Does that make sense? Like
2: Yeah, like like it's being defensive kind of thing.
0: Defensive sure. or yeah. like there's something about the atmosphere or maybe just in Antarctica that like sets it off.
2: Uh so it's um, like not usually an aggressive or It's
0: not yeah. yeah, it's not quite so schizophrenic um in its forms and in its behavior. Like maybe it's a much more methodical species. But there is something that's going on with everybody. Everybody
1: gets real grumpy in Antarctica. Oh
0: yeah, I mean, yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah. I've always wondered what uh, what it looks like. What it looked like when it was piloting the ship too. Like, what does a control panel look like for a thing that's made of like giant flowers of dog tongues with forty (laughs) eight hands? You know, does it have a steering wheel or?
0: Well, I always thought too that it it not only could it be an atmospheric thing but it could be that it's trying so hard to mimic what it sees that it keeps getting confused because our physiology is confusing to it. Yeah. And so it's like constantly trying to change form into something that's either benign or uh, like recognizable to us, but it's so foreign from their actual form Mm. that it just goes haywire and all the things shoot out. And then there's, like, all the parts and the twists and the bleh. Um, and so that's, that's what I kind of have always so it's, thought. So
1: it's really just trying to shake hands, this whole movie, is what you're saying.
0: That? Or shaking hands, say how you're doing. Yeah. You know, yeah. But, but it's just it's just so confused, or the there is, thing. like, some kind of chemical reaction going on with the Earth's atmosphere. That's how I've always – that's what I've always wondered about when I look at that.
1: I feel so sorry for it now. It's just trying to say hello.
0: No. I mean – Maybe they kill each other for hello there. I don't
1: know. They absorb each other and then spit out a copy of the person you just met. It makes business meetings real awkward.
2: Yeah. <laughs> or or very easy, actually. <laughs> yeah. Everybody agrees pretty easily, you know.
0: Yeah.
2: But Yeah, no, it's actually really, it's pretty interesting to think about it from, you know, from the thing's perspective. That's definitely, you know, I, I was talking to somebody in an earlier minute about how it is interesting that in the... In the original movie um thing from another world, which doesn't bear a whole lot of resemblance to this or to the original um uh novella either, but um in that and even and in the prequel as well there there's a lot of more focus on like the scientists wanting to save it for study and like trying to protect it where and while mm-hmm. everybody else is like. Uh, no, this thing is trying to kill us. And in this movie, there's none of that whatsoever. Like the moment things go bad, they're like, "All right, we got to exterminate this thing <laughs> from the base. Like, no, no cell left behind." You know? <laughs> well, it was the 80s, of course.
1: <laughs> not, not a lot of sympathy towards uh, towards monsters in the 80s.
2: That's true. That's very true. Um, but I think well, there actually is a. It's kind of interesting. I think there's somebody wrote a short story from the thing's perspective. I haven't read it yet, but I've, I've heard about it. I'll have to um, post a link. I heard to it about that too. Notes. Yeah.
0: So, do we know, was this released before or after ET? Uh,
1: it was like three weeks either before or after, but yeah, it was just same, after ET. Just after, okay. yeah. Okay.
0: So, um, I mean, I knew it was the same year, but I wasn't sure like month or week wise. So, that means that the decisions to make this a totally unfriendly, uncuddly, unsausaged fingered big eye. <laughs> communicative alien were i mean they were made way before et was released so
1: yeah and that's one of the reasons that it really tanked at the box office mm-hmm. is that everyone was everyone was very happy with the idea of uh friendly aliens who wanted to make our heart light glow um and this thing was decidedly not friendly and cuddly.
2: yeah it's about as <laughs> far opposite end of the alien spectrum that you can get Yes.
1: Yeah. So if the, if in, in your world, the, this, the thing in The Thing <laughs> was just trying to shake our hands the whole time, no, do, you no. think, do you think that E.T. was trying to kill Elliot the whole time?
0: I mean, I do He don't was think... trying
1: to kill and eat Elliot's corpse?
0: <laughs> I mean, if we're really going to get... If we're really going to get go down that line of thinking, I mean, I would say that I think that... I think at the very least, E.T.'s main objective when he came to Earth was to take over Elliot's mind. Oh, my God. And <laughs> become like the puppet master. Like if you're going to go down that line of thinking, sure, I, tell you I think why. that's the very least. But then he was like, oh, I love humans. They give me Reese's Pieces and <laughs> they put me in dresses and I get to hang out and, and watch watch TV um, so he was like, no, I, I'm not going to do this thing to this little boy. And then he was found out and he was dried out and weird and intent and screaming. And, yeah. So
2: Reese's Pieces changed his mind from conquest to love. Is what I think at. so. I really <laughs> think so.
1: If, if only Wilfred Brimley had had a stash of Reese's Pieces in one of the pockets in his vest, ah. this all could have been avoided.
0: <laughs> I, I don't think that I don't think that would have gone any differently. Do they
1: have Reese's Pieces in Norway? I don't know. That's probably why I got upset.
0: They're called smirkdorf pieces. <laughs> <laughs> and they might have an Alan Wrench in them. I don't know. Smirkdorf who that I don't know. <laughs> but, I mean, like, if we are... If I am going to um, dystopically forecast or re, retell these stories... Sure.
1: If you're going to retcon E.T. into... <laughs> A, a corpse-eating death ray machine.
0: Okay, I don't think he was going to eat anyone's corpses. I do, like I said, it's the only if, way I would
1: watch that movie again. If,
0: <laughs> if if we're really putting it in terms of reworking the story within the framework of the existing movie, he was there to mind control an Earthling, and then possibly build his empire, or send back for his other ETlings, and they would take over the Earth.
1: Oh, so so Independence Day is actually the sequel to ET. No. Oh. <laughs> very definitive no on that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> No.
1: They, were just, they just came here for the, our the species supply. I mean, they now just,
0: Mac I mean, and me is the sequel to E.T. Oh <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, this all makes me really want to watch E.T. again. I hate that movie, and now I want to watch it with that in mind and just see, see how well that theory lines up.
1: <laughs> yeah, the, the glowing finger is actually a very threatening death ray posture, and he was about to exterminate us all. But then he found little crunchy candies. I had an E.T.
0: doll when I was a kid and my mom (laughs) got it for me and I loved it so much in the daytime. But at night I realized it was (laughs) I realized that from across the room it looked like it could kill me. And so I would at night when my mom would say goodnight, I would take it and put it in the closet. And every morning I would bring You go it away out. now,
1: ET. Yes, yeah. you don't look at me.
0: In the morning, I'd bring it out and like say a good morning to it. And then it
1: Didn't you say you saw ET in the theater? And when ET came out of the woods, you got up and ran out of the theater.
0: Oh, the first time he screams and goes ah, like that, I took off. Like <laughs> I took off. My grandmother caught up with me when I was at the doors to the outside, to about to hit the sidewalk. <laughs> I was like, "Fuck no, fuck no, grandma." I, I don't
1: want that thing anywhere near me. And yet, they still bought you the stuffed animal, thinking that if we just exposed her to it enough, she'll it'll normalize for her.
0: No, I mean, I think by the time I saw the whole movie, I, I loved it, oh, okay. and so I was, you know. But again, I felt like it was looking at me in the middle of the night, and so. I took measures.
2: That's so horrifying. I took
0: measures. You
2: need to go in the closet, let's <laughs> See, this makes me but... really want to have some thing-related plushies that... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> it is. The
0: only uh,
1: things they've ever done were the, the McFarlane had a line of toys. Is it? Are
0: they plush?
1: Uh, no, no, no. They're like the action figures. And uh-huh. they were like in the um, the early 2000s. But they did the... Um, when they shocked the guy's uh, heart and the thing bursts out and clings to the ceiling, yeah. they did that. But there was no like it didn't there was nothing for it to cling on to like there wasn't like a, a beam for the ceiling mm-hmm. so it just looked like it was had spider legs that were attaching to nothing it was weird wait weird. a minute
0: so it just it was this free standing yeah pattern. it had a,
1: it had a little piece of uh, Richard Dysart's chest at the bottom as the base and then it had the part that came up and looked like his his head with the tentacles on it. But then it wasn't the part of, it wasn't attached to anything.
0: It didn't even come with a body? No. What kind of bullshit is that?
2: I completely agree. <laughs> that's very oh, strange. Oh that's
0: uh uh-uh, no. That's not okay.
2: <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I want like a plushie of that or like the dog thing plushie. You know, that would be awesome. Like I'd Oh you know, it'd be God. incredible. I'd have that sitting is, out.
0: Is a plush dog, right? And then the bottom of it, there's a zipper and you unzip it and you can flip it, push it open uh, and like it's authentically, Yeah. yeah. Yes.
1: Or just, it, it's a normal Husky, but then it has four flaps in its face that you can break open and inside. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yes. yeah. Uh, Think Geek, if you're listening to this, this is copyrighted, <laughs> no the thing kidding. that podcast. This, this is this how we're going to make this our This is riches. where the
1: money's going to start rolling. Right. <laughs> our
2: riches. <laughs> totally. So, um. Uh, I guess I didn't really have a ton specific stuff, specific notes about this minute, aside from the fact that McCready doesn't seem to know what a VCR is, um, which is kind of funny to me. He calls it a portable video unit. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Forgot about that.
0: (laughs) But no, you guys, I I mean, I have not looked this up, but at that time, right, we were just getting home, like, we were just getting VCRs in our homes.
2: I would say that you were right, except that Later in the movie, they're they're watching the game show on a VCR, so it's like they they have to know what to deal. Well, no, because
0: I was thinking like that during that time, you had Betamax that then was completely wiped out of existence by VHS. Right. Um, But I think that was just the time that people were getting at home.
1: You're saying if McCready saw a Betamax player, he would have recognized it immediately. Oh, a Betamax. Was totally, <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah it's totally beyond his
2: understanding. I mean, it's
0: possible. Or maybe he's yeah, like a he laser
2: disc fanatic or something. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. He
0: Has a bunch of laser discs. It's like, right, what is
2: <laughs> some <laughs> kind of portable video unit? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah.
0: Actually, I first watched the thing on a laser disc in college. Really? In the yeah, in the media library.
1: Do you think that makes you cool?
0: No, okay. <laughs> I just thought it was an interesting tidbit.
2: <laughs> that is, that's pretty hipster, Jenny. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Oh come on! It I saw it on hipster. Laserdisc.
0: <laughs> it wasn't hipster. It was what they had.
2: <laughs> if you if you refuse to
1: watch it on any format now except Laserdisc, that would be pretty. That's awesome. true. That's true. Are
0: there still functional Laserdiscs players? Well, if we had one, it would I think be you. Can functional. buy one. I think I
2: actually yeah. have it on Laserdisc because I I think I bought it at like a Goodwill thinking it was the score. And then got uh, home oh, yeah. and it's bitterly yeah. disappointed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what happens if you put them on a record player?
0: <laughs> Nothing. <good. laughs> not, not pleasant. Yeah,
1: your house ends up looking like Smurfsdorf Station. It's just holes <laughs> in the walls. Um, um.
0: So I would like to I would like to put in um something. I would like to say something about Kurt Russell's appearance. Yeah. Okay. So we've got the full on magnificent floppy hair
1: mm-hmm.
0: in this. and Flopsy. Well, I I made a note. Is Flop... Flop... No, I can't say it right. Flopicicents? Flup- <laughs> Flup-
1: <Flup-piscons? laughs> I'm trying to read your writing. Flopicicents. Flopicicents? Flopicicents.
0: No, that's not... No, that's good. Flopicicents. That's not right. So I would just like to say that he has got the classic Kurt Russell look in this. Oh yeah. He's got the beautiful hair, the kind of feathers on the side, and then it comes down and is kind of a little bit wavy. And I made Liam watch Overboard for the first time this weekend.
1: That was our major preparation for this podcast (laughs) was uh I wanted to watch all the making of stuff and she was like, No 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 we're watching Overboard. And you know what? It was fantastic. You know, I've but
0: never seen
2: it. I need to watch it.
0: I will say, I will just say this, that this is why I brought up how he looks in this, that this is the quintessential Kurt Russell look. There's know? a lot of this his This is what he looks like.
1: Oh. I was not prepared for how much of Kurt Russell's nipples are in the movie. They're a, they're a plot point in the movie. That's when she first gets her, part of her memory back is when she sees his nipples again.
0: No. Yes. No, you are, you are misremembering that.
1: Maybe that was a dream I had.
0: Yes, that is not... Part of the, okay, so I bring up Kurt Russell's look in this that this is quintessential Kurt Russell because he goes by 1986 and overboard, he's got a gigantic mullet. I mean, and and Kurt Russell is the only person on earth that makes that look okay.
1: <laughs> no, I'm telling you, the um what's his name? Uh, Slater from um Save no. by the Bell. No, that mullet is no. Ugh.
0: That's a hoof and with some dingles. No,
1: no, yeah, that it is like a terrier that they stapled to the back. Okay, of his head.
0: <laughs> but I bring this up because Kurt Russell has gone back and forth from this look, this quintessential. I keep saying quintessential. Sorry, but this quintessential Kurt Russell look. You
1: think he's at the peak of his Russellhood?
0: I think in this <laughs> he is because he, you know he fluctuates with his hair. He's able to pull off a mullet. He no becomes human less can do Russell
1: that. and then more Russell. Again. No
0: human can ever do that, but he does it. And then he keeps going back to this. Yeah. This look. And this look is even the look it's, that they picked for guardians of the guardians in the galaxy too. Sure.
2: Yeah, that's true.
0: Which so every couple of
1: years he's like, man, I'm getting a little off track. I got to bring it home again. It's the
0: essence <laughs> of Kurt Russell.
1: Yeah. I just love that his beard looks like it's all one piece. Like, at at night he like takes it off and hangs it up like it it looks like a catcher's mitt with a mouth hole cut in it
2: (laughs) it's actually attached to the hat it's just part of the whole thing (laughs) it just goes over his whole face there you go (laughs) yeah his uh his hair is pretty on the
1: street he actually like tips his beard instead of his hat
0: (laughs) i got it it's flopificence.
1: pificence flip Flip i can't
0: flopificence. Flopificence. That is his Lop hair. It's floppy magnificence.
1: <laughs> Flopificence.
0: I just, I emphasized piss too much before. That
2: is, before. that's a $200 word.
0: It's not a word.
2: <laughs> but I think <laughs> it describes his hair absolutely perfectly. Yes. <laughs> I mean. Uh, Maybe this is why he's got his own shack separate from everybody else because everybody got tired of like smelling all his hair products and stuff. He he just spends every day, all day. It's 20
0: minutes on each side, it's 10 minutes at least on the top, it's like back. I mean,
1: it's like a Vidal Sassoon outlet store in
2: that cabin. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, this minute is just you know another one of those kind of creepy moments walking, walking through the Norwegian base. But, um, do you guys have anything else, um, kind of specific to? To this, discovering the ice coffin or any of that for this minute.
1: Uh, I think we've covered everything I had for this one. Yeah, well, except for I mean, I'm sure you've talked about you know Morricone's awesome score to this to this mm-hmm. whole thing so far. But I love the um, the uh, the music cues in this part of it. It's like you know the third of probably five themes in this movie. It's very sparse, mm-hmm. um, but it's just this very very subtle uh, creepy string music that's over this, and it's nowhere near as overt as like the main title baseline and everything. Yeah, but um, it's it just really kind of puts a, a shine on how creepy this whole haunted house sequence is, and I really uh, enjoy it.
2: Yeah, it's a very classic horror movie kind of kind of sounding score for this part. It is. It's. It,
1: it, there's something about just those high sustained string notes that just kind of puts you about two inches towards the edge of your seat. Mm -hmm. Like it's like something awful might happen, but it's not really telling me anything specific.
0: I'm very glad they got rid of the body falling out of the thing. (laughs) That is, that would have been too
2: much. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one of the things I love about this sequence is that it is so tense and nothing ever breaks that. I mean, I was talking to the, um, my guests last week, we were talking about, I was trying to remember if the first time I saw this, if I expected stuff to like jump out at every turn, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, I feel like I probably did. I mean, cause it's built like that. It's, it's built to kind of, you know, work up to those scares, but those scares never come, which is really interesting. And it's pretty Shows a lot of restraint for this era of horror, especially so that, you know, hats off of restraint for that. Yeah. I
1: mean, can you imagine, um, you know, anything that has any, when you were near this kind of mood in a modern horror movie, you would have four cats jumping out in front of the screen. Mm-hmm. You would have stuff falling out from behind. Like there would be no sustained mood. It would be, constantly be broken up because people just expect a lot of jump scares Not that there aren't any good jump scares in this movie. I mean, they're fantastic ones, but they're very, it is very controlled. He he knows how long to let you kind of dangle without throwing something at you.
2: Yeah. And, and yeah, he's and like, like you said, uh, uh, when you guys mentioned at the beginning of this minute, that this whole sequence is very kind of controlled and, this this minute's a perfect example about how you're kind of you're walking down the hallway in the POV of Copper, um, so you see the um, the ice coffin chest thing at the same time he does. You're really kind of discovering it uh, just after McCready found it, which is pretty pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. I love the way kind of you he only shows exactly what you need to see, uh, especially in the beginning of the movie here to kind of ratchet up the tension. It's really cool.
1: Mm-hmm. Love it.
2: So I think that will wrap up uh, Minute 21. So um, in the meantime, you can go to thethingminute.com for full show notes for every episode, including links to anything we, we mentioned or talked about. And um, then uh, just make sure to come back tomorrow for another episode of The Thing Minute. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at the thing Minute and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Minute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at MoviesByMinutes.com and be sure to head over to StarWarsMinute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper signing out.